Thank you, Steve. And I want to just officially say that I consider 50 the new 30. <clears throat> Can I have an amen? amen? Being that I'm 54, I, 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 I feel it's the new 30. Feel good. Turn to first or Second Kings chapter two. Second Kings chapter two. I want to talk to you today about something that I believe um, characterizes a person and it characterizes a church. Something that I believe God wants to put inside of every one of us. The same spirit that was in Elisha. Elisha. And I'm going to tell you what that was in 2 Kings 2, 1 through 2. I'm going to talk today about the statement he made three times. He said to Elijah, I will not leave you. Let's read 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass, when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, the first or really the second rapture. Enoch was the first one. Second rapture we see in the Old Testament. That Elijah, Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, Say it with me, everybody. I will not leave you. I pray that the spirit that statement flowed from is placed inside of every one of us. And I'm going to talk about it today. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord God, that you're raising up a body of believers to serve one another and to shine for Jesus in this community and even to the ends of the earth. Lord, I pray that this spirit that was in Elisha will also be in us, in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor, tell him to perk up and listen. You need this today. <laughs> now, this is the story of a man, Elisha, who wanted the best that God had. He wanted the best. And he wasn't about to settle for anything other than God's highest and best. Now, little context. In the story, he knows that God is about to take Elijah, who he has been following for a number of years. He has been mentored by Elijah. I love this dynamic duo of the Old Testament. They're really my two favorite prophetic characters in the Old Testament. The dynamic duo. Elijah was first. He appears in 1 Kings 17, verse 1, out of nowhere, Elijah the Tishbite. He brings the entire nation of Israel to its knees in repentance to God. That's one story. But part of his story is that in his journeyings, particularly after he had a real crash into depression, God told him to go anoint Elisha, and he did. And Elisha began to follow him around and watch what he did. Now, God began to work in the heart of Elisha. And I want to tell you folks something. God 
Our God is a God who works with hearts. He works with hearts. He deals with hearts. He touches hearts. He ministers to hearts. He wins hearts and captivates hearts. God deals with your heart more than he does any single thing. And this now, Elisha is having his heart dealt with as he watches Elijah and something begins to grow inside of him. And it was a desire, a dream. Something began to grow in his spirit and in his soul. He began to see something for himself. He began to get a grasp and a grip on his destiny. He begins to develop a holy desire for a certain thing. You know, you hang around men of God and women of God, and they're going to rub off on you. I believe that Jesus is more caught than taught. And you hang around a man of God or a woman of God long enough, they're going to rub off on you. And what God is doing in them, he's going to start doing in you. That's why you ought to pray about who you run with. And be very, very selective about who you spend your time with and who you give your ear to. Because if you're around a man of God or a woman of God, and you begin to come under that influence, only good things can happen. God's going to season your heart with grace. And that's what happened here with Elisha. This desire begins to grow. And on the way to Elijah's rapture, we know that God took him up by a whirlwind in front of Elisha. On his way to this historic event, Elisha is tested. He's tested with four decisions or four different scenarios that test his heart whether or not he's really ready for what he had come to desire. Now, what did he come to desire? Elijah had turned to him and said, what do you want from me? And Elisha said, here's what I want. I want a double portion of what's been on you. I want a double portion of what has been on you. Now, I'm going to tell you, that's real. That kind of a request is real. Because different men and different women have different anointings and gracings on their life. Elisha had been handpicked by Elijah, and he was following him around, and he began to say, you know what? God has done such an incredible thing with this man of God. In Elijah's life, he had performed seven incredible miracles, seven never-before-done, unprecedented miracles. And Elisha said, I want double that. I want 14 I want 14 miracles done through my life. I want to be a prophet just like you. I want to do miracles just like you. I want to glorify God just like you. I want to be used of the Lord just like you. There is nothing wrong with that. Elijah gave him a stipulation. He said, well, what you've asked for, you've asked for a lot. You've asked for a great thing. He said, I'll tell you what, if you're watching me when I get taken up, then you will have what you have prayed for, but you're going to have to watch me. That whole thing is just a principle looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You do your greatest works when your eyes are on Jesus. But now, Elisha said, deal. I agree to the terms. Now, as they begin to walk towards the geographical location where Elijah is going to be raptured, taken up, never dying, picture of Jesus rapturing the church. As they're headed there, they stop in four places. 
And these four places, Gilgal, Bethel, Jericho, and the Jordan, Gilgal, Bethel, Jericho, and the Jordan, these four places are places where Elisha is tempted and tested to see whether or not he will settle for anything other than the best. I see this story as an example or a good illustration of the difference between the good and the best. There is a difference between good and best. And what I want to preach into you today is that you will not be a settle for person. You will not settle for the good because lots of people settle for good. Good is good. Good is fine. But good is not the best. There is a distinct difference between good and best. You can settle for and stay in good, but I've noticed settling for good doesn't cost you what going for the best does. If you go for the best, it's going to cost you. If you go for the best, you're going to pay a price that you wouldn't pay for the good. If you go for the best, it's going to take everything you've got and then some. But am I talking to people who realize we live only once and then we go to glory? We might as well go for everything we can. And I want to preach to you, we need to go for the gusto. We need to go for the best. We need to shoot for the best. But I love the Word of God because, because these four places where they stop illustrate perfectly the four kinds of things we get tempted to settle for instead of the best. And so I want you to listen very, very carefully as this man, Elisha, four different times refuses to settle for good. And he demands the best. He wants that double portion. He wants to do miracles. He wants on him what he has seen on Elijah to the second power. Now, the first place they stop is Gilgal. Gilgal. And if you study the Bible, you realize that Gilgal was the place of past victories. Gilgal is the place of past victories. It was the first camping place in the promised land. They first camped in Gilgal after they finally got out of the wilderness, finally crossed the Jordan, and went into the promised land. First place they camped was Gilgal. In Gilgal, the manna that manna they had eaten every day for 40 years finally ceased. And they began to eat the good of the land in Gilgal. This was such a crucial and monumental spot that Joshua set up 12 memorial stones to celebrate the victory of having crossed the Jordan and entered into Gilgal. And so I want you to notice something. Elijah turns to Elisha and says, son, I'm moving on. I've got to keep on going, but you, 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 you stay here. You stay in Gilgal. And when I read that, something just struck me because I'm going to tell you about you and me. It is so easy for you and I to camp in the place of past victories, to build a house where God once moved. It is so easy for us to stay there, to, to live there, to, to, to abide there, because after all, that's the place where God moved. Do you know that most of the denominations in our country right now began out of a move of God, something that God did in the past? Martin Luther, as a Catholic monk, had the revelation, the just shall live by faith. And he began to preach that revelation, the just shall live by faith. He started the Protestant Reformation. 
you are probably today a Protestant. And I know we got a lot of Catholics in here, but you've done been Protestantized to a level. And that is, you're going to go where you're being fed. You're going to go where God is touching you because you don't care anymore. You want him more than you want religion. And, and so, but he preached the just shall live by faith. Martin Luther shook the entire nation of Europe. He caused a spiritual earthquake. And out of that move of God, we have the Lutheran church. Then you come to the Wesley brothers, John the preacher, Charles the hymn writer, and George Whitfield, the great preacher with the silver tongue who preached in England and America. They shook England. They shook early colonial America. Early colonial America, America was washed in Holy Ghost revival when the silver-voiced Whitfield would go to a place. All they had to say was, Whitfield is preaching. And 30,000 people would show up. He would lift up that golden voice and preach where they could hear him at the way back of a crowd of 30,000 with no microphones and no speakers. And Benjamin Franklin didn't believe it, so he went and found it out to be true for himself. And a revival happened and America and England were shaken with the gospel and more than likely England was spared the bloodshed of the French, French Revolution because Whitfield and the Wesley brothers preach the gospel saying you must be born again. And out of that preaching... We've got the Methodist Church. And then in the 1920s on Azusa Street, Pentecost took place and the Holy Ghost fell and people began to speak in another language and the Pentecostal movement swept America and swept the world and now we've got the Pentecostal Church. So we have a real tendency to build denominations and build structures on past moves of God. And here is Elisha. He's taken to the place where God had once moved, where God had brought tremendous victories to the people in the past. And Elijah turns to him and says, don't you want to stay here? Wouldn't you like to stay here? And I love what's in this man. He said, as your soul lives, I will not leave you. And in not leaving you, I refuse to leave my destiny, my calling, my future. I will not give up the best for any single thing. I'm sticking with you like glue, buddy. I'm not getting my eyes off of you because I don't want the good. I don't want the acceptable. I don't want the passable. I don't want to make a C. I want an A plus. I want God's best. Now, why would Elijah turn to his protege and say to him, stay here, stay here, stay here. I'm going to tell you why. He was testing him. He wanted to see what he was made of. And when you decide that you're going to go for the best, that you're going to fulfill God's purpose in your life, that you're going to shine as a Christian, that you're going to bring forth fruit, that you're going to be somebody who prays, somebody who wins souls, somebody who gets serious about God, you're going to get tested and that testing is not going to be to show God what is in you. He already knows. It's going to be to show you what is in you so that you can see what is in you. That's why uh, Jesus looked at Simon Peter and said, Simon, Simon, I'm telling you, Satan has requested to sift you like wheat. But I haven't stopped him. He's going to sift you, but I prayed for you that when you stand back up and begin to brush the dust off your feet, you can preach again, get your vision back again, and move on again. But Peter, you're going to have to find out what's in you. 
And so he said, never, 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 not me. But he denied Jesus three times, the third time with cursings. And Jesus Christ heard it, turned to him, and gave him the look that must have burned a hole in his soul. The look that must have melted him on the spot. The look that said, don't want to tell you so, but I told you so. How many of you have ever felt the look coming at you in the spirit? And after he got the look, he went out and wept bitterly. But on the resurrection morn, the angel said to the women, go and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead and be sure you tell Peter because he thinks he's finished. He doesn't understand that I'm a restoring God who raises people from the death of their failures and fills them with life again and sends them off down the highway of service again. I have not rejected him. But Elijah wanted Elisha to see whether or not he had the commitment for the double portion. Because if you want the double portion, you're going to pay a price for it. Elisha was not content to camp in past victories. And neither can we be. When you camp in past victories, you're basically saying he did it then, but he doesn't do it now. When you camp in past victories, see, you've either got a faith in what he did or you've got a faith in what he's going to do. See, you've got a faith in what he's done or you've got a faith in what is about to be done. You've got a God of then or you've got a God of now. You've got a God who delivered and then quit delivering or you've got a God who delivers and keeps on delivering. You've got a God who moved a mountain back then but somehow hung up his spurs and called it a day or you've got a God who still moves mountains now. I got to tell you, church, I don't have a faith for yesterday. I've got a faith for the God of the now. And I hear something in this story. Elisha was saying, I'm believing for a now move. I'm believing for a now act of God. I'm believing we're about to see a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall we not know it? He's going to make a road in the wilderness, a way in the desert. He's going to make a way through the sea. God's not finished with you. He's not done with you. I didn't mean to preach this hard, but I'm going to preach this hard because I want you to know God is a God of the now. Can you say with me, God's a God of the now. He may have done it back then. He saved you back then. He answered some prayers back then. But the same God that did it then is going to do it now. Thank God that faith is now. Well, they went from there, from Gilgal to Bethel. And Bethel as Elisha now is continuing the journey with Elijah, they come to Bethel, the house of God, and I found something out here. Bethel is the place of past revelation. Gilgal was the place of past victory. But Bethel was the pa place of past revelation. It was in Bethel that Jacob was running from his brother Esau. And he went and laid down one night out in the open country, staring up at the stars, and he fell asleep with his head laying on a rock for a pillow. And he had a vision, a dream. And it was a 
a ladder reaching all the way up into heaven. And he noticed that as this ladder went up into heaven, that ascending and descending on this ladder were the angels of God. And he was so moved by this that when he woke up, he said, how awesome is this place? How awesome is this place of revelation? That ladder represented the Lord Jesus Christ, upon whom and from whom angels would descend and ascend to heaven and back. He, it represented the blessing that would come down to us through Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, Jacob's ladder was a picture and a type of Jesus Christ. And so he says, how awesome is this place of revelation? And isn't it awesome when there you are walking with God and God shows you something, opens your eyes to something, you have a revelation about Jesus, a revelation about your life. He opens a truth to you. Something in the Bible comes alive to you. I don't know what it was, but I think most of you have had a place of revelation. With me, it was when the Spirit of God touched me and I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. What an incredible place of revelation that was. I had given my life to the Lord. I was 18 years old. I hadn't got past the ninth grade in high school. I was wondering what I was going to do with my life. And I said, Jesus, I give you everything that I am. And he came and touched me with the Holy Spirit in a way that I cried. I laughed. I fell down. I got up. I staggered. I couldn't believe that the Holy Ghost could be that real? And I wonder how, if he's this real, how isn't the whole world saved? And what a place of revelation that was. But I realized very quickly that the God who touched me and ministered to me and filled me with his spirit that way didn't want me to camp there. But he wanted to take me on. And see, that place of revelation, here he was. He was where Jacob had received the revelation. And again, Elijah turns to him and says, stay here. Why don't you just stay here? And, and I'm going to move on. And he said, as your soul lives and as my soul lives, I will not leave you. I'm not leaving my dream. I'm not leaving my vision. I'm not leaving my destiny. No matter how awesome this place is. It says Jacob built a memorial to this visitation. He took a stone, set it up as a pillar, and poured oil on top of the stone. And that's what we do. We immediately want to camp where God has spoken in the past. Peter's the best example. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up into a mountain. He says, guys, buckle your seatbelts. You're about to see something you've never seen. And as Jesus stood there on the Mount of Transfiguration, all of a sudden his garments became white like snow, like lightning. He began to glow with a supernatural glow. And suddenly on one side stood Moses representing the law. And on the other side, Elijah representing the prophets. And they began to talk to each other. Moses talking to Jesus. Elijah, the one we're talking about today, talking to Jesus. Centuries after he had died, and then suddenly, Peter, not knowing what to say, but being very typical, said, Lord, what we need to do is let's build. Let's build three tabernacles, three churches, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. It says, not knowing what to say, he said, And suddenly a voice came ringing from heaven that just to me says so much. God spoke and said, this is my beloved son, hear 
him. And if you read the original language, here's the way it's written. Continually, ongoingly, daily, hear him. Because he's continually speaking. He's not just speaking once where you got to build something to it. You, want to, you need to ongoingly follow him in a life of daily discipleship. Because he spoke yesterday, he's going to speak today, and he's going to speak tomorrow. There's nothing wrong with God's voice. He still speaks. Amen. And so they did not build the first church of the transfiguration. Or if he'd have let them, they would have done it. God's answer, hear my son. Hear him today. You heard him yesterday. Hear him now. Hear him tomorrow. Don't camp here. Follow Jesus. Keep on hearing him. He is the word of God. Don't try to limit God to what he's done. He's not just a God who's done. He is a God who is continually doing, continually speaking, continually leading and guiding. This is why he would not leave the children of Israel in any one place in the wilderness. Right when they got comfortable, the cloud by day and the fire by night would move and they would have to pull up their roots and move again. Why? Because we are living by the word of God and not by bread alone. We've got to be listening for the voice of the Lord to our own lives today. How long has it been since you said, Lord, what are you saying to me? So I just don't know if I'd hear anything, Pastor Jeff. Try it. Say, Lord, speak to me about me. What do you want for me? What are you saying to me? What have you called me to do? What direction do you want me to go? Where do you want me to fellowship? What do you want me doing with my life? You can either be camped in something back here or you can be following him today. And if you follow him today, you talk about exciting. You talk about thrilling. Christianity never gets boring if you're in daily discipleship with Christ. So Elisha said, no, 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 I'm not going to stay. I won't settle for, I'm not going to camp on a past revelation. I'm going on. I want to see what the move of God is now. So it says in the Bible, Jacob went on his journey and so did Elisha. Then they came to Jericho. Jericho, first Gilgal, then Bethel, then Jericho, the place of past victory, the place of past revelation, and now the place of belonging. Because what was going on in Jericho? This had a whole different appeal. You know what was at Jericho? All the sons of the prophets. They were all there. All the sons of the prophets. All of the disciples of Elijah who were not following him like Elisha was. They could prophesy. They could have a good church service. But only Elisha was right there by his side every day following him. And these sons of the prophets said to him, Hey, did you know the Lord's going to take up your master by a whirlwind any time now? He said, you're not telling me anything I don't know. Hush. And Elijah turned to him and said something very, very appealing. And I've seen people do this so many times. He said, stay here. Stay with your peers. Stay with the herd. Stay with the group. Do you know how many times I've seen people stay with a group when God was no longer moving? 
They stay with the group because that's where the group is. They move with the herd because that's where the herd is going. They're like the lemmings that walk off the cliff every year to their destruction. They just follow because that's all they know to do is follow. But I see something else working in Elisha. And I want you to hear me on this one. Dear friend, Christian brother, Christian sister, hear me. There's going to come a day when God is going to speak to your heart and you're going to realize that though you have a call to the corporate body of Christ, you also have an individual call. You have been called to play your part out on life's stage and it is unique nobody can do it like you nobody has your call nobody has your flavor nobody has your the touch that God has given you if he spent enough time on the snowflakes to make every one of them different what do you think he did with you if he can make every snowflake intricately beautiful and totally unique and different, what do you think he did with you? Nobody can do it quite like you can when the Holy Ghost rests on you and he begins to use you for the glory of God. You're going to reach people I couldn't reach. You're going to minister in a way that I could not do it. God has his hand on you. And that's why you got to make up your mind. If you find yourself in a herd... And the herd is saying, why don't you just stay right here? But the Spirit of God is saying, that is not my call on your life. I want you to follow the beat of a little bit of a different drummer. Something different is happening inside of you, and you've got to follow what God is telling you as an individual. Is anybody hearing me today? See, see... There's always a chance to settle for When Kathy and I started pastoring, we started our first church in East Texas, and it was Mayberry. We kept waiting for Andy and Barney to drive up any day. It was a town of 1,300. That's right, 1,300. We almost had as many people here Sunday. We, by God's grace and help, gathered 500 people in a town of 1,300. There was no rush hour traffic. Oh. There was no rush hour traffic. The deer and the antelope really did play there. We, I would look out my, my front window, and here would be a big buck staring in my window. If I'd have been a deer hunter, I would have believed I'd gotten raptured and gone straight to heaven. I got a bass boat, became a fisherman, would go out there on Lake Fork, watched it come in. I'd fish about every other day. The birds singing, no stress, no real pressure. It was, But something began to happen inside of me. And it was the beat of the different drummer. I began to realize that I could stay there and I could settle for, and I would not realize what God has called me to do. And the Lord began to say to me, I want you to leave. It took a year. I fought it. I rebuked it. I bound it. I fasted it away, tried to deny it, told Kathy I was so happy here, but I'd go off and I'd pray, and the, the nest was being rustled. I could feel that God was saying something different to me. Get to the city. There was a bigger harvest for you. So I said, Lord, the people, what am I going to do? What will I, how will I leave it? And he just said, I'll take care of it. And so I did. And we announced it after a year. And they cried and we cried. They cried on my shoulders. I cried on their shoulders. I said, God's just calling me on. It broke my heart. But I got to tell you something. What would have broken my heart more? If I had stayed and denied my call. Because thousands have been brought to Christ since we left and stepped into the deeper waters. And what we're seeing right now is just the beginning of what we're going to see God do. I don't know if I'm talking to people who want to be in a move of God. I think I am. I think I'm talking to people who want the best.
And so we left. And to this day, there's a great church there doing fine. Everybody got over it and moved on. And I found out nobody's indispensable. But you're indispensable in this way. Nobody can do it like you. And Elisha said, there's no way I'm going to follow the herd. And there's no way I'm going to stay here. And so he said, no, 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 I will not leave you. So he did not stay in the place of belonging. He moved on. The last place they came to was the place of warfare. They came to the Jordan. The Jordan was the place of warfare. I find it very interesting that just before he got his dream, he encountered warfare. The Jordan was known as the place of descent, not ascent, descent, or valley. It was known for its 130-degree heat in the summer. It was known for attacks of wild beasts, robbers, and thieves. The Jordan and the land surrounding it was dangerous. You took your life in your hands to go there. And Elijah was crossing the Jordan. So Elisha had to pass through warfare. Are you, are you hungry enough for God's best to fight the devil for it? I never encountered the devil until I said, I want God's best. Then I met my enemy. Are you hungry enough for the best to fight the enemy? And I'm telling you, go ahead and fight him. Let him attack you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. God will see you through. But you will have warfare. You will have a battle. I have never, ever, ever gone for God's glory that I was not hit hard by the devil. Never. The place of warfare. He had to pass the Jordan. He had to go through the Jordan. He crossed the dangerous Jordan as a picture of spiritual warfare. But Elisha had already made up his mind, I will not leave you. I will not settle for. I will not give in. I will not accept the good. I want that anointing. And they crossed. And so will you. When they crossed, I think Elisha had a stiff neck by now. I'm watching you. I'm watching you. Can you get on this side? Because my neck's getting sore now. I'm watching you. I'm not taking my eyes off of you. My eyes are peeled on you. I am not, 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 not going to forget what you said. If you see me when I go up, then you will have what you have asked for. All the sons of the prophets are on the other side of the river watching them walk. And I've been there in person where they surmise Elijah lifted off. And it's a wilderness, and it is. It's burning hot in the summertime. And all of a sudden, it happened. I wish I could see what happened, but I know what the Bible tells me happened. The Bible says that suddenly there were angels that looked like they were on fire. And they came down in what looked like was chariots on fire. And they whisked down upon the man of God, seized him, and up he went in a flame of fire. And all that Elisha could say is, my father, my father. The horsemen of Israel, the horsemen of Israel. And he disappeared. Now he's thinking, I saw it. I saw it. I saw it. I know I saw it. And then there's a speck, just a dark speck, began to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Is it Elijah coming back? It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. He sees it. The sons of the prophets see it. 
It's a dramatic moment in Old Testament history. It gets bigger and bigger until finally it hits the ground. Dust flies. What is it? It's the mantle of Elijah. He says, oh, well, that's his mantle. It's the mantle he threw on me when he first called me. It's a picture of the Holy Ghost. When Jesus ascended, down it came. And the same mantle that had been on him fell on the church. He says, can I do what he did? He walks to the Jordan. Sons of the prophets on the other side of the Jordan. He says, hmm. In the name of the Lord God of Elijah. And he hits the water. I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. He did 13 miracles in his lifetime. 13. Incredible. Turn poison water into pure water. Salty water into clean water. I mean, he did miracle after miracle after miracle, but only 13, and he died. Say, wait a minute. You said you wanted a double. I know Elijah did seven. You got to have 14. He got it because they put his body in a cave. And later, there was a soldier who was wounded and died, and they took this soldier and threw the dead body into this cave. And as soon as his body hit the bones of Elisha, he came to life and was resurrected. 14. 14. Now, if he had been willing to settle for, there would have been no miracles, no voice for God, no standard, no prophet following Elijah. But he paid the price, not camping in past victories, not camping in past revelation, not camping where my peers tell me to, and I'm not afraid of warfare. And he got it. I want an Elisha church. We can settle for and have a neat little holy club. Or we can go the distance and have a spirit of Elisha where we see the glory and the power. Can we stand together? Church, I'm serious about this, and I know the battle. I know. I know it's not easy. But I know God's looking for churches that will preach the word, that will minister Jesus to people, that will not uh, offer a diluted, watered-down picture of Jesus to this culture. This culture needs hard preaching, loving preaching, truthful preaching, and they need to see the Spirit of God moving. And that happens with people that have the spirit of Elisha, the attitude of Elisha. Father, I just thank you that this man refused to settle for. And I thank you, Lord, that he got his dream. Now, Lord, I just believe that you've called not just this church, but every church that names the name of Christ to be willing to go with your 
leading, to follow you in lordship, to be true disciples, to not live in yesterday's blessing, but to believe you for a now blessing. Father, I pray that you will do that in this church. Now, if that's your heart, I want you to take a minute and pray as Steve plays and leads us a bit. Take a minute and say, Lord, my life is short. I want my life to count for God. Help me to have the attitude of Elisha and let God search your heart as Steve plays. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, with thanksgiving. Yes, Lord. I'll be a living sanctuary. Well, if you needed this today, give the Lord a hand of praise, would you? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, real quickly, let me say something about switching gears a bit. Wednesday night, we've been having record crowds as I've been ministering on angels. And this Wednesday, I'm going to be talking about angels in prophecy. The way Bible prophecy is unfolding right now and is going to be unfolding rapidly in the days to come. Let me tell you something, church. Buckle your seatbelts because we're in for a whole lot of moving and shaking in America. And we're going to need to understand the ministry of angels. So we're going to be talking about the part that the mighty angels of God are playing in end-time prophecy. I'm going to be dealing with some prophetic events that are going to be taking place in the very near future and the part that angels play. So don't miss Wednesday night and angels in prophecy. Now, let me have your guitar, Steve. <laughs> Kathy has a quick announcement. Go ahead, Kathy. Hello. Yes, I want to make sure that everybody takes your bulletin home and take the insert out and read it later. It contains the detailed information of our latest outreach to the military. So be sure you do that. And also stop by the tape table. And if you pick up any CDs, that goes 100% to the building fund. And uh, the, there's also DVDs and uh, the Messenger Bible and different things that you can get at the tape table. But also, Reuben and Marissa, where are y'all? Y'all come up here. We have, a, uh, we have a wedding in our church family this week. And this is our bride and groom. And they have uh, requested to make an, uh, an announcement. So, Reuben, are you going to be the spokesman or is Marissa? Marissa, okay. The bride. Well, we were just um, wanted to announce it this morning to let you all know that everybody's invited. Um, the ceremony is at Connell Baptist Church. The address is 4736 Bryce Avenue. It's right off Camp Bowie. And the reception will be at Our Lady of Guadalupe Hall. Uh, 4100 Blue Mound Road. Now, all this is also on our website. It's www.rubenandmarissa.com. And uh, there's directions. Oh, that's serious. Uh, <laughs> directions and times. 
<laughs> yeah, directions and times and all that. So we'll be glad to see you all there and celebrate joining our life together. Amen. Amen. Hey, Ruben. <laughs> Usually right before the wedding, I give the, the men a chance to head out the back door if they want to. <laughs> you got a web page on you. You can't go. It's done. <laughs> We've known Ruben since he was, what, five or six? Five or six. And he's found a wonderful wife. And let's just, everybody extend your hand. And let's just pray a blessing. Father, we just ask a special blessing on this wonderful young couple as they embark upon their life together this week. And we ask you to give them your peace this week and just to let them enjoy it. And we ask for your blessing in your hand upon their future. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. So you're all invited to the wedding this Saturday at 3. If you have any more questions, it's Reuben and Marissa. And if you can't remember that, ask me. All right, okay. And we have, as you already heard, we have somebody who turned 50 this week that used to seem ancient. Now it seems like a kid. He's in the brand new 30. He's in the brand new now, 30, that's right. I can't let him play the song for his own. That's right. No. So. And, and wait, wait, I got to tell, tell you what Tamara said. She said, when Pastor Jeff took the guitar away, Steve doesn't know what to do with his hands. <laughs> Come here. Get up here. <laughs> All right, right y'all sing with us. Ready? Happy, Happy birthday, birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Steve. Happy birthday to you. And many more. <laughs> All right. Woo. I felt it. Rock on. I'm feeling an anointing. All right. I'm gonna go to the door. We're gonna we're gonna shout. Nothing but God's best. Nothing but God's best. Okay. Right. On the count of three. And thank you again, first time visitors. We hope you'll come again. And God bless you this week. On the count of three, nothing but God's best. One, two, three. Nothing but God's best. I am blessed, I am blessed every day of my life, I am blessed when I wake up in the morning or I lay my head to rest, I am blessed.